Speaks Loud in the Words. I'm Elliot Charles. In this episode, I talk to Emily Phillips, who has written uh, with Rizzle Kicks, with John Newman, with Big Time Rush, um, but she was also a member of Transcargo. Uh, there's also an interesting story about Spider in this one, so uh, keep an ear out for that. As usual, visit us on Twitter at Warner underscore Chapel and on Facebook at Warner slash Chapel Music UK. Also check out our website at warnerchapel.com. Uh, that's just had a big redesign, so go and have a look around that. And Anyway, enjoy the talk with Emily. It's quite fun for me to get out of the office and go to a place like this. <laughs> this is just... yeah. And the um, daylight. Yeah. That's what sold it, because Ant found this bunker in Parsons Green. You know, really snazzy. Right. But nice there was bunker. no daylight and plus right. that's an hour's travel on a bad day. And and I walked into this room that he'd pretty much decided he was gonna get and my heart sang and I said, I cannot be in a in a windowless bunker no. an hour from home. It's just not It's not what you want. And it? and then we had already been looking you know, and it was like, Right, great, now what do we do? And then this is five minutes walk from home. Really? Oh my god. With daylight. <laughs> uh, it was a anyway. Well, I you've, feel. you've really made it your own. I mean, yeah. I wish I wish now that this was a video podcast, so I could describe this place to to everyone that's listening. But it's basically the most wonderful studio I've ever been in. It's just full of. <laughs> I didn't even notice that an old Fender Rhodes piano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. yeah. Fender Rhodes piano. There's yeah. Moog organs. There's just Hammond organ, a Phillips hammerchord. A wasp. A rack of very lovely guitars. Space echoes from Siberia, which we found <laughs> on eBay for the from the Cold War. They were on top of tanks. Echo chambers that were used to make announcement in Russian. This kind of thing. Wow. And and those echo units are what we put signals through. But I had to get my Russian friend to decipher what on earth the buttons mean. <laughs> so. You've got like a notepad somewhere with like left knob at bottom <laughs> is like echo length. <laughs> but that's incredible. Yeah. But that's how, because both Ant and I are into kind of real sound and analog sound as mm. much as possible. And all this equipment helps us achieve that. Like there's a British spring unit, which is actually a drain pipe. So the, the vocal <laughs> signal will go up the drain pipe and you will get that actual physical distance for the, for the That's reverb. And, and, and you, obviously you can do this kind of thing on plugins, but we prefer to make our lives <laughs> a little bit harder. <laughs> a little bit more expensive, a little bit more difficult, but yeah. there's something about it, isn't yeah. there? There's something about that kind mm. of tangible feel of yeah. a machine. Yeah. In the end, overall, you can hear it coming through on a on a recording if it is mm. analog based rather than pretend, you know, pretending to be analog. Yeah. Because I know the computers do it brilliantly, but there oh, is yeah. a subtle difference, I think. Definitely. Definitely. It's um. It kind of makes me think of, you know, that old Dwayne Eddy story about how when they recorded the first kind of Dwayne Eddy record, they bought a water tank from a nearby junkyard, cut it in half, put the mic on one end and the guitar amp on the other, 
and just got him to play into this wow. huge water tank because they didn't have an echo chamber yeah. or a reverb machine or anything like that. So they had to spend all this money on yeah. buying a water tank. I mean, the lengths we go to, we were once recording in France, and I don't know what possessed us, but we, but, but we lowered a, a speaker down a well, put the microphone at the top of the well, and sent my voice out of the speaker and recorded the natural echo up the well with the microphone at the top of the well. And, you know, it freaked us out because... Effectively, I was at the bottom of the yeah. well, and it was so, this girl stuck at the bottom of the well. That's quite creepy. Isn't it? And it was kind of like, yeah, I think we've gone a bit far now. <laughs> we've taken this too far. Stop. Let's go home. Yeah. What was that for? What? what were well, you years ago, Ant and I, well, we had a band together, and we mm. made three albums over a course of seven years in this band. What was the band called? Transcargo. Transcargo. And, Great name. And it was. Anyway, we went to France to this farmhouse at one point and we drove a transit van across France with a lot of gear and we set up and we spent 10 days recording there. And it was just a mad kind of, you know, way of attempting to make a record in one hit. So it was great fun, but it was pretty wild and woolly time. But yeah. actually listening back to those recordings, there are cicadas in the background and the atmosphere of being there comes through and it's, you know, it makes for a an ambient record. What do you think... That the atmosphere in the place that you record in has a big effect on a record? I think so. I mean, I, as I say, any wizardry can be done in a computer, but mm. when you're writing, you know, on a regular basis, you, you, you do start to really appreciate an environment that makes you feel a certain way. Yeah. It, it does help. And, and also, you know, if it can spark an idea off, whether there's a sound being created or something you look at in the room or how comfortable you are, I think it's very important, mm. yeah. Uh, I guess it kind of lends to the story of a record as well. Like the, yeah. Like, for example, your, uh, your bit about going to France. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's a story behind it, so that lends yeah. like an extra... And it gives you a certain mindset which inevitably gets reflected in the music. So I do think the environment is key. Um, having said that, you know, some of the best records are made in bedrooms, but actually, again, perhaps that's the restriction and the struggle that's, in, yeah. you know, really engaging with the imagination and that's what's working there because really big snazzy studios can, can be intimidating and can wipe out that creative flow. Yeah. So I guess there's a balance and what people gravitate towards, you know, what suits them. So there's no hard and fast rules, I suppose. Just whatever works. Yeah. So... Okay, let's kind of go back to the beginning here. And uh, as you were growing up, was, was there a lot of music around in your house or did you come from a, a house where there was no music? Um, what? My family, I have six brothers and sisters, and most of us were musical. My brother's a tenor. I, I learned all the grades on the piano and cello and was in the school orchestra. And my parents played a lot of classical music. Um, and then I have so many brothers and sisters, we all got into kind of Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, Neil Young, The Stones, The Beatles, David Bowie. These kind of records were played mm. at home. Um, and and so, yeah, there was definitely an environment of music and yeah. music making. But, but songwriting hadn't occurred to me at that point in time and didn't come till later. But I certainly grew up in a very musical household. That must have been cool. Yeah, great, fun. I mean, my brothers and sisters bought the albums and I was the youngest and would uh, be teased horribly. And I brought Heaven 17 and literally <laughs> wasn't allowed to play. And I had all these guilty pleasures, but they were they were quite mean. In the end, I sort of went along with that kind of hippie vibe that was going on at home. Okay. And, 
But then there are some random records like Scritti Politti that I really, wow. oh my God, listened to a million times and Simon and Garfunkel. And I had my own kind of secret stash. But the general vibe at home was kind of Bob Dylan ruled, basically. Wow. Okay. I think it'd be fair to say. So, so some pretty deep stuff. Yeah. Back then. Yeah, very yeah. kind of um, not you know I I mean whatever was in the charts back then when we were teenagers I don't think was what we were really playing. No. It was kind of old school and. So this this would have been stuff that maybe a previous generation would have. Yeah, I think not. so. And we were into scar and reggae and. Oh, wow. You know, just very rootsy music, music that feels like it's where it all started rather mm. than, you know, necessarily pop music. Yeah. So, but then clubbing and stuff, which I really got into when I was in my teens and would dance a lot to Northern Soul and mm. Motown. And so that was also a massive part of growing up musically was dancing, love to dance. And so... But those records I may not have ended up playing back at home. No. Yeah, so definitely a musical. But it was it was then a few years later that I got into songwriting. Yeah. And shall I explain? Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, no, go um, ahead. Okay, so I went to <laughs> art school after leaving school and then was a painter for a few years. And then I, I lived with um, Damon Alban and Justine Frischman. And they were obviously at the height of their fame. And they, they sort of thought, oh, great, we'll get Emily to live with us. She'll be this sort of cosy artist and, you know, make roast chicken when we get back from a tour and be painting and sort of be the homemaker. Lovely. And actually what <laughs> happened was that Damon sort of said, hey, you're musical and why don't you write songs? And he put a microphone and a guitar in my bedroom and I basically never looked back. I, I didn't roast any chickens and... <laughs> gradually put the paintbrushes down and put a band together myself and and then over time just the the painting phased out and the band began to become a way of life and and a means to actually get by as well wow and so i gradually replaced one life for another and 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 honestly since that day i've got a lot to thank damon for yeah. I occasionally see him at the brits or you know some music event and we mm. have a big hug and i always say thank you because it was really him that got me going in music. Wow. So he just gave you a guitar and a mic and said, yeah, there you go, yeah. have at it. And that's it. And I put a band together. I very instinctively started writing with a few chords he showed me. And Had you never played guitar before? No. But we, you know what it's like as well, a guitarist yeah. yourself. With three or four chords, you can definitely write your first song. Yeah. And then I found some you know, musicians and that just honestly got the bug. Because it, mm. it is a completely compulsive thing to do oh yeah it gets under your skin yeah and you watch something you know being around somebody like him working so fantastically hard all the time and totally immersed in it well both of them were and um and their lifestyle of course was incredibly mm. kind of seductive and so but I, there i was skidding around all the pubs in london with my band <laughs> while they were wow. jet setting off to god knows where but no Damn. one thing led to another and the band became a way of life and so he never offered you an opening slot or a big Do you know, he tour. didn't, but he did <laughs> ask me to audition to be a keyboard player in Blur. But actually, I didn't want to do that. No? Because I wanted to do my own thing. Yeah. And in hindsight, my God, I turned that down. I don't know whether I would have got the job. I certainly auditioned for it, but it was my band by this point. I wanted to yeah. do my thing. Oh, why not? Yeah. I mean, if you've got that creative drive, yeah. then why would you want to give it up to just be... Yeah. And I mean, I say just... <laughs> 
keyboard player in Blur's pretty <laughs> pretty good gig. A lot of people would kill for that. But if you have that drive to write your own stuff and perform your own mm. music, then you're going to go for that, aren't yeah. you? So have you always just had this kind of general creative drive? Because you talked about being a, a visual yeah, artist before. I, I, I have always written poems. As a kid, I wrote poems. And I still write poems a lot for lyrics. I find it easier to write a poem and then fish a lyric out of a poem. Okay. Because I think to sit down without music and write a lyric is obviously a bit of a sort of mm. slightly discompopulated way to go about it. Poems come naturally so I I make an effort to keep writing poems and as a painter I guess you get your mind tuned into composition and balance on a painting so perhaps that part of my mind is now applied to figuring out what's working or not working in the structure of a song or the shape of the melody and so on so I I do think it's all tied up together Mm. and certainly my my mum and dad were creative people so I feel blessed to have been encouraged to be creative you know that that that's a lucky thing. Were they always supportive yeah, of it? Yeah, very supportive, very encouraging, and definitely, you know, looking back, that that's where that support came from. I think mm. that's incredible yeah. to be able to translate those those uh, methods and, and ways of working into yeah into something else. I is, think it's all part cool. of the same thing. I think everyone is creative. It's just a question of being encouraged to believe that you can actually you know do that and and to foster it yeah so we've interviewed a few songwriting partnerships Mm. on the podcast Mm. but we've never had a a husband and wife Mm. team i mean ant and i we were in the band together and then we became husband and wife after a few years of being in the band together so it kind of started as a musical um relationship as it were but now now that the band is behind us and we are co-writers for other artists now, Ant is a producer and I am, I guess, what, what's called a top-liner. Mm. But I also am a writer, if you like. But we work together a lot, but he also sometimes gets other co-writers in, so okay. it's not always me and Ant as a team, but I, I guess we do about a third of our writing together now. Great. So I, I work with three or four other producers on a regular basis, but Ant is, is my favourite producer to work with in fact i've had the most success with ant which is a great thing you know that that helps i mean i'm glad that's the case because yeah yeah because just as well seeing as he's my husband too so does it ever kind of leak over into home life do you sit around over dinner and just go you know you're wrong about that third chorus (laughs) yeah of course yeah i mean not you know we try not to bore each other but I mean, music, I don't know. It's one of these conversations that's never-ending. I do feel sorry for people at parties who aren't musicians who chance upon a conversation between two musicians because they they could actually talk all night about music. I mean, as a a marriage, a lot of our conversation is about what we do, who we work with, what we're writing on, and what, you know, discussing music Mm. one way or another. But obviously we we do talk about other things as well sometimes. You must do. The weather. (laughs) How the kids are doing. Who's going to clean the loo. But, um, (laughs) yeah. The mundane stuff. But music is a, I mean, I find it a fascinating subject, so great that we can share that. Yeah. Yeah. It must be quite incredible to have that connection as well as yeah yeah life we have a family (laughs) together but we support each other because this industry can be tough and there's obviously Mm. ups and downs and there are times when you 
really need someone to help help you through you know what might feel like I don't know a, lo- a loss of confidence or a, or a, a, or you lose your inspiration or you lo- lose your way with with you know the vision of of focus because mm. ultimately we're just carving our own oh, journey yeah. through the music industry who the artist and the songs and so on and you do you need support you need to mm. be able to discuss it and and we help each other feel you know that everything is fine and we do because it can be tough you oh, know yeah and and sometimes it, we sort of take it in turns, but you know, generally speaking, we both obviously thoroughly enjoy it. But you know, there there can be times when you do need that support. And having someone that's always there to kind of bounce ideas off yeah. and yeah. discuss things yeah. with must be yeah, a that's help. a great thing, definitely. I do recommend if you are a musician to team up with another musician so that you can, you know, do that with each other <laughs> <laughs> amongst other things. Wonderful. Well, looking around, you guys aren't doing too badly at the moment. Yeah, we've had a good, we had a very good year last year with some chart success. And and now we have this studio, which is great. And we can actually move around in here and all the instruments are laid out, which helps when you want to think out loud. Yeah. So hopefully the studio will last because it feels like a real arrival point here. It's, It's incredible. The setup is just wonderful. I know I'm going on and on and on about it, but it's just really amazing. So let's talk about some of that chart success from last year. So what did uh, we had? I, the we, John Newman single for one. That was great. John Newman had a song that wasn't even going to go on the album, um, but it obviously had potential. And I came in to help him craft that song into what it what what then became a a single and and you know did well in the charts. So mm. that was very satisfying and and. Uh, you know, glad that I could be someone. I was in that position to to help him with that song because the original idea was obviously strong, but it it just it just needed those peaks and troughs that I help him sort out and edit it and fix up the lyric and mm. sharpen up the song. It's a bit. I liken it to being a potter. You got a lump of clay. You know, you can see that it's gonna, yeah. but it's sort of a case of molding it into something that's actually gonna work on the radio yeah. and. Yeah, so that was terrific. I love the song. It works really well live. It's called Cheating. Yes. That was his second single. And Ant, Ant produced the album and obviously therefore produced that track too. And it's got horns and gospel choir and it's terrific. Really good. There's a, a lot of different kind of sounds in there and it's mm. a very big sounding yeah. song. It's it's great. So do you, do you like that then, walking in where someone's already got an idea? Or do you prefer a blank canvas? Um, it can work either way. If, if, so, if an artist arrives at a session with a good idea, then bring it on, you know. Yeah. And, and actually, the stronger the artist and their idea, the, the better the day will be inevitably. I mean, as a co-writer, I, I'm more interested in what the artist has to say than what I have to say. I am there to support and enhance the artist's vision, if you like. Mm. Um, sometimes, you know, artists get tired and they're on constant co-writes. Maybe they don't have something to write about. That's when my poems might come in. You know, perhaps this idea connects with the artist mm. and I can be helpful and source an idea that they might latch onto and then together we develop it. So I, I consider myself a support to the artist rather than a top liner. Um, I do less of just writing alone on a backing track that's another mm. whole approach if i do do that on a dance backing track i would always get a co-writer in because i like that pull and push on a lyric and okay. i like the sort of 
the fun of it, you know, knocking ideas around and laughing and messing about and getting some, you know, stimulation into the day, Mm. which I, 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 so I definitely prefer co-writing, which, yeah, that was what I would always endeavour to do. Do you ever kind of have that desire at all to just kind of sit down and like, right, I have these ideas, these are my thoughts. Yeah. I'm going to put this out into a song. Yeah. Just my own vision. Sometimes... Um, I uh, from poems that I write, I will, because because sometimes the words leap off the page and they have a melody attached. That's a very odd thing. It's almost mm. like a three D experience. You can look at a lyric on a page, and it comes with a melody. And and so then I'll get to the piano right then and there and start trying to see where this song is going. But more often than not, that won't end up being a complete song. It'll be an idea, and and I'll pursue it for as long as time I have. Um, Very occasionally, a complete song will arrive, but I'm so used to co-writing now, I will usually think, there's an idea, and I'll leave it at that, put it on my phone, and then I have that bank of resourcefulness if need be. So, So that's something I just do naturally because... I'm I'm sort of fascinated by how lyrics and melody can make you feel. I mean, songs aside, you know, chart success or chart failure or or the music industry aside, that actual um, process of words and melody connecting with an emotion is is an extraordinary thing, and and I find it absolutely compelling. Very human. Thing. Yeah, and and just you know, and that's I guess what I tune in when I songwrite is to sort of edit and figure out is that doing that trick what what is it about that melody that's missing a shape or a note that would fix up that Mm. feeling so that you know you get used to knowing when that feeling is there and perhaps some of the younger writers will make some it's instinctive so maybe some people have that instinct maybe Mm. sometimes time is required to learn the instinct I don't know I mean I don't think you can be steadfast about that but it's about being objective and saying, is that giving me that feeling? Is that yeah. working? So you you often start with words. Mm. What inspires you in terms of words? Do you read a lot or is it just I try to read experience? a lot, all kinds of things. You know, I do try and read most days. Um, if I watch a film, I usually have a notepad in case somebody says something great, you know, that could be a lyric. But, um, you know, I was at a wake on Sunday and there we were in the rain, the outside the church I mean the vividness of this scene the bright green grass the vicar in a sort of black cloak the mourners the rain the grey rain and sometimes in life there are situations that are so vivid it's almost like time stops and I know that that moment will will come out and need to be expressed in a way mm. in words that, that that captures that stillness that moment in time so I, I sort of try to keep an awareness in my everyday life of conversations or situations that I can I know are like a, a snapshot frame that I can then try to actually put into words that m- make it amount to something in words rather mm. than experience. I try to do that. You know, I think the more that one does, obviously you have to be so prolific. And Damon taught me this. I mean, he always working and obviously so much of what we do comes to nothing you have to keep going keep going until you find the bits that actually really do resonate because most of it well gets cast aside 
I had an amazing quote from a physicist, an old wise physicist, and he said, jumping from one failure to the next with undiminished enthusiasm is the key to success. Wow. And that pretty much sums it up. You know, not to dwell on the failure, but the point being that one, it's a bit like being a child. You need to maintain a sense of awe and wonder Mm. as much as possible within the, you know, within reason in yes. life and and just try and keep connected to that sense of you know that the, that the world is an an extraordinary place you know one can so easily end up sleepwalking and take things for granted and feel yeah. depressed run down or banal and that's all part of life as well but I try to remind and sort of also t- type of meditation to just see things at face value mm. and therefore read them fresh that's yeah. that's what one would hope to imprint back into a song i think that wonder at the world yeah it's incredible well it's all very well you know say <laughs> you might wake up <laughs> it, on it it's a lovely lovely theory these are theories obviously in practice you know life is struggling and this and that oh, but, yeah. but to try to be a good writer i guess that's what one needs is mm. to feel that to feel inspired a constant interest in yeah. the world around you yeah and children help because they're so immediate and so random and bizarre and abstract and amusing and the way their minds work I guess is what one would hope to yes. in- keep going through your life a little bit of that mm. I think do you find songwriting helps you process the world around you like it helps you um, kind of consider things in a different light maybe or I guess I mean the madness of it as well I mean it is a bit loony because in a song you're sort of in within the realms of your imagination you have a landscape in your mind when you're crafting a lyric you're inside the song you're inside the story mm. and you're effectively in your imagination and I mean you know when I meet uh, for example at the school gates and all the other parents with their jobs and I, I'm sort of God knows where I am in my head, you know, trying to figure <laughs> something out. And it, I do sometimes feel like a bit of a sort of loony or nutcase. It's all a bit random and mm. um, it's not very kind of um, practical way to live your life. No. So it, that there is a side of it that I, I am aware that one is literally existing in, in as much as I work. You know, the hours I put in each week, you are in your imagination. You're not quite in the real world. No. Sometimes that feels like, my God, am I really, this is my life to be so kind of, I don't know, far flung all the time in my mind rather than actually practically doing mm. something. It must be strange. I don't know whether that answers your question, but... Kind of, kind of. Uh, it's, there's an it's, abstract element to yeah. it that I don't know whether how applicable that is to real life, you know? No, no, no I guess that's... I mean, it's similar of quite a few creative professions like acting and mm. and maybe not photography, but painters definitely, mm. I think. Mm. That kind of disconnect because you have to be so involved mm. in the in the work. Mm. But at the same time, you also do need to be drawing things in That's around right. you for it not to stale. That's it. So stories, and I guess one keeps one's ears open to scenarios. I mean, Kate Bush, I mean, I heard her saying... And this is amazing. She said, you know, the least interesting thing is her. She's, she <laughs> will source her yeah. inspiration from books and films and reap that gold from elsewhere. But 
she's like a medium through which these ideas transmit. And I really admire that ability mm. that you can actually. So I guess, you know, great songwriters, Bowie, and the, you know how imaginative they are. And they must be able to be receiving yeah. so much from the outside world. So it's a very humble quote from yeah. Kate Bush. That. But, but, but I, I, I understand what she, you know, mm. she's basically saying, and, and it's a fantastic thing that she's almost transparent. She's lucid. She's kind yeah. of without baggage and therefore she can source this wonder. Yeah. And, and that is amazing. And that's one way of writing, I guess. Yeah. Other yeah. artists might be so tortured, caught up in themselves, you know, and that introspection also can come out in a song very well. So I, there's just different ways, isn't it? It's incredible. And I found this doing the podcast, just hearing the vast mm. array of approaches mm. to songwriting. It's always been quite mm. quite interesting, just the, the differences. Because you would think, talking to people on the one subject, you'd get a lot of repetition. And there's, there's some, but mm. just the huge amount of difference mm. between people's approaches is incredibly fascinating I worked with Barry Mason recently who yeah. wrote um, Delilah and mm -hmm. you know any number of amazing s hits in the 60s you did a talk with him didn't yeah you? and yes. we, we did you know he was how we wrote then and then I came on the second half how we write now and so mm. on and he was fantastic and he's in his 70s and he's totally inspired and great fun to write with and Amazing. You know, had maintained through a lifetime of ups and downs in the music industry, still a total enthusiasm and sense of fun about it. There's something quite incredible about those old school songwriters. We spoke to Scott English on the podcast, the guy who wrote Mandy for Barry Manilow, and he, full of stories. But it's changed a lot, hasn't it, in songwriting? Absolutely. But, I mean, nevertheless, I mean, in those days, you know, you get to the piano and then the song would be, they'd leg it up. Um, what at Denmark Street with the song, you know, on a manuscript and yeah. so on, and obviously things are very different now. But, but his approach, you know, he was so flexibly minded, mm. not sticking with an idea, being very generous, give and take, you know, yeah. listening in the room, and that's so important. You know, somebody might not have the confidence to say what they're thinking, and they might mutter something. Well, that muttering might be the gold in the song, and it's so important to kind of really. Yeah cherish what people have to offer i mean mm. I, that, what, that's what as co-writers one attempts to do is to really bring out that confidence and an expression in the artist because that's what you're you're looking for yeah. and to to have a keen ear for when that occurs mm. you know and but anyway i thought he was fantastic yeah that must have been great. So I came in on the second half of that. I was nervous. I hadn't stood up in front of 50 people and talked about this before. And I'm, and as I went on the stage, I felt I had just been to the loo just before going on the stage. <laughs> anyway, I had a dress on and heels and I felt something in my pants. And in front of 50 people, I pulled a huge black spider out of my pants. Okay. Right? It had crawled into my tights. Oh. And I flung that spider on the stage and started hopping around like a lunatic, screaming. <laughs> and this woman leapt up from the audience with a glass and a piece of paper and took the spider away. And this broke the ice. I mean, the whole audience <laughs> witnessed. And my God, I, then I just had basically just talked about 100 miles an hour. Wow. It kind of, but I mean, as if I needed that. Yeah. It was a good two-inch hairy. Oh. It was not a lit anyway, but... Wow. Can can I just get you on record that I could keep that in the podcast? Because that is the, the yeah, quote. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Ow. 
Ooh, that's a horrible thing to happen at the best of it times, was. let alone when you're going on stage. I was screaming because I don't like spiders. You can imagine. Oh. So, what have you been listening to recently? Because well, this I, I kind yeah. Of, going over your work recently in preparation for the podcast, mm. John Newman, Rizzle Kicks, a lot of kind of pop stuff. Yeah. But also Kate Dimbleby. Kate like, Dimbleby. Like the kind of jazz. Well, she was my neighbour, and um, she's a jazz singer, and she's a friend and a neighbour, and we wrote a song. But actually, this song has stuck around, and now it's the you know the lead song on her new album, and she's been talking about it. Yeah, it was in Songwriter magazine. Or yeah, she and she did an um, interview for them. And this song was in yeah, well, that was just a quite an off the record type of writing session because it just came through a neighbour. But no, we really crafted that song together, mm. and it and um, the song works, and and it's got a life. You know, that's the thing. Yeah. It's like you sort of release the song, see what happens, and seems to be getting some attention so I'm delighted about that I mean this week the song I've been listening to the most this week is that Hosier's Churches is it called or The Church oh yes I know oh the one God, that made. is an amazing song and I mean who would have the, the power in the lyric of that song and mm. the melody is fantastic I mean it's so passionate and it's so raw and soulful I, I, I can't imagine that when he wrote that song, they would have known it would be a hit. It sold a million copies in America. Yeah. 27 really well. million hits on YouTube. That is the kind of song that just hits you between the eyes. Like, it's amazing. So I guess, you know, I really gravitate towards songs that just feel just timeless and yeah. brilliant. I'm trying to think what else I've been listening to. I mean, I mean I'm listening to Justin Timberlake this week some of his records because we're working with Aston from JLS who's been signed. Yes. And his vibe is kind of Michael Jackson meets Justin meets um, Stevie Wonder. I don't know. He's oh, an wow. amazing soul singer. And and so, you know, one does have fairly schizophrenic weeks sometimes. There's been a whole different bunch yeah. of genres. Yesterday I had a fantastic writer in, um, Dan Owen, a kid, a blues boy superb guitarist wow and he wants and the the producer tim baxter who's a great friend and and dan owen this kid wants to do a kind of soulful bluesy record well he had been listening to churches by okay. hoses in fact on the way to the session too so we were right there on the same page but he's going to do something i guess it's going to be tom Waits meets george ezra with a bit of hoses mixed in but you know wow. this is the thing you you f you switch from genre to genre, whereas when we made the Rizzle Kicks album, actually that was a continuous sort of zone, and and, yeah. and you're inside a record, which is a great privilege to actually get into an album and make an album with an artist. They stick around. That's fantastic. That doesn't happen very often. No. Um, so quite more often than not, one is doing two day sessions, and you have one or two sessions a week, and you do you you switch around. So I try to listen to as much you know, current stuff, I guess, but really always only the stuff I think is really good. I won't... I do listen to Radio 1 to sort of see what's actually happening, but I like best the, the kind of idiosyncratic... They get right behind an artist like Nick Mulvey or Ben Howard or, they, you know, artists that are actually really striking mm. a chord out on their own. That new and, Ben Howard album has floored me. Yeah. Just... I think it sounds like um, One World by John Martin right that John Martin record because there's just so much 
textural guitar yeah. work. It's quite old school. It. I mean, there yeah. are long songs on that record and bring it on you know music that we can listen to without thinking is this a single is this or this something and mm. obviously there's terrific pressure on us writers always we need yes. the single because that's what everyone's in the business of singles but what is a <laughs> single i mean who would have guessed that hosier's record i mean yeah i just think one can't be second guessing you just have to get in the zone try and do something that's true to the artist and does that never kind of come into your mind then what the, the oh well it does i mean it always does and as much as you know i try and keep a keen ear out for where this melody is really working and not and, but equally i don't really know what a single is it's just got to be something that people want to play to each other you're in business if people say listen to this and yeah. it gets played around yeah. so i don't know how you can define that no it's an elusive thing i think it's so elusive and in a way one doesn't even want to think about it. You just meet with the artists, you try and find out what's happening in their life, you try and connect, you get cracking, you know that you need to get a song written in a day or two. In a way, you, you just have to sort of catch that vibe and follow your nose and, and do your best and and hopefully you've written a smash hit single. But, I mean, they don't grow on trees, let's no. face it. No, especially now. Yeah, so... I mean, this year, Ant and I have done so much writing with a, a, a lot of different artists, and it's like sowing seeds again. Mm. So we'll see what comes through, what actually is connecting. And, and, you know, it can take months for songs to turn around, so it's hard to say at this point in time really what's yeah. coming through. Um, but then some things are kind of, you know, very quick and spontaneous. I wrote with Switzerland, the voice winner, this amazing girl with the lungs the size of, you know, 20 goats, <laughs> if I could... What? And um, she, you know, in a day we wrote the song, the song's going to be a single, so I hear, and that's all a very quick turnaround, and, and Andy Wright produced it. He's sort of old school in Sphere Studios in Battersea, and he got a band in, and the whole thing just... You know, that that's... Occasionally that does happen where everything follows through mm. and all the serendipity and all the components are in place, management, artists, plan, release and so on and so forth. But equally, sometimes things go astray, even if you think you have got a hit on your hands. Maybe some of the components aren't in place and, and you, you know, time will tell. So it's hard yeah. to know. Yeah. Do you miss performing? Do you miss performing and making albums? Because you mentioned yeah, how we did. We made three albums and we did gigs and you know we 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 went to Brazil and we toured there and we toured in Italy and we had some success through sync deals with our band and we were a merry bunch of musicians. We had no music business in our midst. We just did our thing and the whole thing was self finance. We and we did our gigs and the last gig was at the Shepherd's Bush Empire. That was the finale. I was six months pregnant and that was that that was seven years ago and i do miss that kind of drama of gigs and the excitement however i'm a mother now and it's just it's not conducive to be been there done it it's just doesn't fit in with the plan really co-writing is is a very good way to live my life now mm. um how but sometimes i get on the mic you know in sessions i might demo a melody or I'll do backing vocals and I get my chance to kind of sock it to everyone again but I think I think the whole performing thing is definitely behind me now yeah yeah I'm sorry to say well 
No, don't know about if anyone else is sorry, but I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no kind of hidden album that you and Ant have recorded. In well, this there is a hidden album, and I think it's is it the third or the fourth Transcargo album has never been heard, and the whole thing has been recorded. There's seven years ago when we stopped the band, that record was recorded. Ant has not had a month off in seven years to mix this record. Wow, and. And I I love this record, and 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 it's it's written in a way that I I can't really get back to that point in time. It's a different zone, a different headspace. It's a snapshot. Of yeah, period. and um, oh, I really hope Ant finds the time to pull that record together. And if he does, Transcargo, the great um, reunion, Transcargo. There you go. Roller. <laughs> well, all the 80s and 90s bands have reformed and played around. So I, I think as time moves along, it'll get to Transcargo. Maybe we time. will, which would be a very happy day for me. But um, I hope we do actually pull that record together one day. Yeah. Yeah, when we have that time and headspace. So. Great. I mean, you've certainly got enough equipment here to, uh, you know, mix a record. <laughs> No, exactly. Well, I don't know what's stopping him, but Ant, you know, he's just always busy with yeah. all the productions and so on, and we can't really take that time off. No. Well, but at some point, I hope we can. One day. Yeah. Do you enjoy producing at all? Do you do any production Do you work? know, it's so embarrassing, but I mean, I have been in studios for years now, and I'm a total Luddite. Really? But I mean, when you have someone around you who knows every flick of a switch you yeah. you do get thicker and thicker because you just i am dependent on the people around me i i mean i can do basic pro tools but it just hasn't sunk in so i just try and focus on what i can do that's, and that's fine there, there are people that have the technical drive and people that just oh don't that affinity with it i mean i put it down to being left-handed okay and the youngest child of six because somehow all the big brothers and sisters they would always sort of do all that the yeah. bit you know and i just sort of fall in the slipstream well in a way i'm in the slipstream still and and thankfully it's kind of working for me but if if Ant sort of vanished into thin air i would i think i'd be up a gum tree <laughs> you sat there with a cassette recorder and one microphone Shit. just trying to make a record might sound great yeah might like lo-fi pop or something stick in a puddle there you go. Well, Emily, thank you very much for thank talking to so us. Thank you so much. It's um, been great. Thank you. Cheers. Speaks. Louder. Ben Woods. From Warner Chapel. <laughs>